0: Today, I'm really excited for the opportunity that's in front of you, um, because today you will get to hear from the person that we've hired to be the campus pastor at our Fulcher location, and after about a year of searching, we really feel like that we found the person that God Uh, has chosen to be a part of this launch and to be the campus pastor at this location. His name is Chuck Butler. Uh, He and his wife Amy have, uh, we've learned so much about them in the last few months. Some of our staff members already knew them, uh, but I've gotten a chance to get to know them better over the last few months. And I really believe um, Chuck is an incredible leader. He's a very gifted leader, uh, but he has a love for people. And you're going to sense that today as he comes out and shares a little bit of his heart and a little bit of his faith journey that brought him to this place. So I am glad you're here. Would you welcome Chuck Butler to the stage? What I love about what Scott said is we've just been learning a lot about Chuck over the last months and they still hired me, so it's good. Like I appreciate the fact that they've continued to learn even after they have continued to learn. I want to introduce you to my family because honestly, my family's the coolest part of everything that I get to be a part of, all right? I am married to Amy. We've been married for 15 years. Uh, we, uh, we met in Texas, and uh, she is from Oklahoma originally. I am from Florida originally. We met in Texas, we we're on staff. I love the fact that every time I see a picture of my wife, people are just like, Chuck, how did you marry her? I was like, immediately my self-esteem, the good thing is my wife is a counselor, so I can just go lay on a couch and just talk to her about how my self-esteem has been uh, just ruined. Very beautiful, and I don't know how I got her either, all right? But no one tell her anything different, all right? Um, I want to introduce you to my kids as well. We have four kids, okay? Um, our house is very just unquiet, non-quiet, never quiet. Our house is mostly uh, talked about as kind of a psychotic episode to some degree. Um, th- these are my kids. So Deacon is on the far right, and then he is eight years old. That joker, if he was here would be under one of your seats. Okay, I don't know. Uh, He would just be under a seat, just crawling through. Uh, Next to him is Macon. She's our oldest. She's already three inches taller than my wife, which just, I'm just like, just scholarship in anything. I don't even care. Like if they give us like checkers, chess, I don't care. If tall people can do good in it, let's go. Uh, She is in uh, seventh grade right now. And then next to me, uh, on the other side there, that's uh, Wrigley. He's our only introvert. Okay, usually if you don't see Wrigley, it's because he's in a cabinet somewhere just trying to get away from our other kids. (laughs) He just is a reader, he wants to play games, and he just wants to get away from everybody, like sound and noise just really overwhelms him, so he just stays stressed out all the time. Uh, He is in fourth grade, and then uh, next to my wife is Ellie, and she is in fifth grade, and she's a singer. Just Just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea, Uh, God has been very creative in the way that he has put our family together. We've always known that adoption was going to be a part of our family story, even before we even knew if God would give us biological children. So Macon is biological. And then our next is Ellie. And she was adopted uh, just a few. uh, She was adopted about four years ago. And then Wrigley is biological. And then Deacon was adopted uh, about uh, seven, uh, seven and a half years ago. Our birth order. Doesn't even exist anymore. Just forget all of that. If you came into our home third, you may be the youngest. If you came into our home second, you may be the old. It's just, it's crazy. But man, I just want to tell you, my family is incredible, but my family is a little crazy. Okay, this next pick is going to give you an indication. See, when our photographer took this pick, everyone's just like, that's so cute. That's so creative. Just to see them like, no, this is literally a testimony of me and Amy just hanging on for dear life as our four kids just run around us all the time. The smiles, they're fake, okay? (laughs) That is a fake smile, and that is actually my wife also lying. It's a complete lie in the pic. We felt like we had to smile because we paid a lot for these pics. But normally, the way that uh, that we live our life is me and Amy are in the center, doing everything we can, and those four jokers just run around us like crazy and just won't ever let us alone. But man, that is my family. And uh, just to kind of give you a little bit uh, of an idea of uh, who I am, I uh, eat my steak, well done, and by, whoa, okay, that is the most passionate thing I've heard in both services. Just incredible worship, hey, great word, you talk about steak and people get like fired up passionate and stuff like that. When I say I like it well done, I mean dry, butterflying and a little jerky, that's how I like my steak, Okay. So all of you people that are like, oh, I just like that pink, and it just gives it texture and taste. I was like, you're all crazy, okay? I don't understand you. I want it dry, and I realize that you make fun of me. If you ever go eat a steak with me, you're going to be embarrassed, and I don't care, okay? The chefs usually rethink their profession as they are doing my steak like I was never meant to cook meat like this. If it's hard to chew, that's when I know it's done for me. Uh, I'm a huge Chicago Cubs fan. Huge Chicago Cubs fan back in 2016 when they won the World Series. I lost my mind. And when I say I lost my mind, there are three videos I made my wife delete off of her phone that she was gonna put on Facebook because I was like, you can't let that out into the world. Because I literally went crazy, not just because I have a son named Wrigley, I do feel like the best fan ever because I literally have branded my son forever being associated with the Cubs. I even tweeted at them thinking that it would get me something and they just ignored me because they probably thought I was lying. Like, no one's ever naming their kid after Wrigley Field. No, that's just me. I did. Um, uh, A couple other things. I'm very competitive, okay? But not in a healthy way, okay? Um, Not in the way they're like, oh man, Chuck really likes to win. No, I will push you down. Yeah, I will push my kids down, my kids still like to race, not letting them win, okay? Um, we will play checkers, my goal is to make them cry. Like, I, when I say I'm competitive, I don't just mean, and I don't win everything, which really just puts me in just a really Christ-like mood, all right? When I don't win, I mean, the truth is, I, my wife looks at me often and just goes, Chuck, can you act mature? Is that possible? because you just destroyed your eight-year-old in a game of Battleship, and now you're gloating and talking trash to him. And I was like, all day and every day I will do that. When my son plays Battleship, he's walking away crying knowing he lost. Then I'm gonna make him a T-shirt that says, my dad is better than me in everything. I like to make up games. Okay, now some of these games don't make sense to you. They make perfect sense to my family. We make games uh, up that we play outside. We make games up that we play inside. Um, and I love it, man. I just, I love it. I'm, I'm a pretty cheap person too. My wife is kind of like, why don't you spend a, a few more dollars on I was like, no, I don't think we will. I was like, why don't we spend like half of that and then find it on clearance of half of that and then let's go get that. <laughs> That's a little bit of who I am. There's uh, there's uh, you know, over the course of me being here, I hope to <laughs> kind of get to know all of you guys and kind of get to tell you a little bit more about me. Another thing is I don't like ketchup. Okay. I don't like, again, with the passion, what is happening? Uh, I don't like any sauces. No, uh, no ketchup, no mayonnaise, no mustard, no Chick-fil-A sauce, which I know everybody thinks, oh, then you don't love Jesus if there's no Chick-fil-A sauce. <laughs> I was like, wow, you'll get over it. Um, I don't like ranch. I don't like honey mustard, mayonnaise, mustard, any of that stuff. I don't do any of it. I am literally like a three-year-old when it comes to eating. My wife goes through the drive-thru. My kids are like, get this. Number one, seven, four, two. And I'm like, can you just give me a minute? And I'm, my wife's like, oh my gosh, I hate you so much. <laughs> She's telling the people, you're going to hate this guy so much. Spit in all of his food. <laughs> but that's me, man. Just, just a recovering, jacked up individual is who I am living out a life that I can't believe God has allowed me to be a part of, living with a wife that is better than me in everything. She loves Jesus better. She's a better Christian. She's just incredible. I have four beautiful children, and I don't mind telling you, they are just gorgeous. They don't always act gorgeous. But man, I love the fact that God has blessed me with the opportunity to have my family. My family and I were kind of going back and forth as we're transitioning to the bridge and I'll be here for several weeks and then I'm there and they're finishing up their school year there because they're all having incredible years and we really thought it was important that they finished up their time there. But before I can kind of tell you any more about this journey, I really have to kind of back up a little bit and tell you a little bit about the last three and a half years of my life. The last three and a half years of my life really started in October of 2016 where God began to do something in the life of my wife and began to do something in the life of me that we didn't see coming. So in October 2016, my wife was on a mission trip to Africa, which meant for 10 days I was by myself at home with four children. Now, I've already told you about the way that my four kids go. I only have one introvert. The other three make up for them, so it's You know, it's for 10 days. My wife is just worshiping and having these incredible experiences in Africa, just loving God and loving people. And I hated everybody in my home for 10 days. I was like, there's nothing spiritual happening in my home right now. Amy is all about spirituality. And I'm just trying to figure out if I can hide from my kids. It was a crazy week, but here's what I'll tell you. One of those nights, Amy began to text me. She's like, will you begin to pray for me? She began to tell me what God was doing and began to tell me what God had been doing and and kind of what was freaking her out and what was incredible. And I began to, to, then we talked. There was a huge time difference. We began to talk about what God was doing. And what she began to see there and how it translated to her life and then how that translated to my life and then how it translates to our family's life and how it translates to our ministry, I'm going to be straight up with you. The first couple of times that she began to talk and the things that she was saying, I was like, oh, my gosh, my wife is losing her mind. Like, is she going to move us to Africa? Because I ain't going. All right. I can't believe I live in Arkansas, much less moving to Africa. I began to, see, to hear her say all these things about what it means to truly connect to Jesus. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That Jesus that you're talking about, that's a way riskier Jesus. That a way, that's a way edgier Jesus than I'm comfortable with. She began to continue to talk about what God was teaching her and what she was seeing and, and hopes and dreams that she was desiring for the future. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I'm sitting here losing my mind in Arkansas, just begging Amy to come home. And as I began to hear these things, we got off the phone and we, can, we continued to text. For me, it was like 1.32 in the morning. We just continued to text. And as God was doing something incredible thousands of miles away, with my wife and her telling me about it, God began to do something in me that night. He began to show me some things really creatively. And when I say creatively, I mean, God tends to speak to me in ways that don't always come from, oh, I was reading the Bible and God taught me this. That, this. Now that happens. It doesn't always come from, oh, I was sitting in church and God taught me this. Now that happens. I was watching something and God hit me with this. Chuck, what you see in front of you is someone that cannot believe that they get to be a part of what they're a part of. They are astounded that they have been chosen for this moment and for this, that they have been positioned and placed where they are. I watched that clip like five, six, seven, eight, nine times, this thing that I was watching. Kept watching this clip over. I couldn't stop watching the clip. It's a seven-minute clip. I couldn't stop watching it. When I finally stopped watching, I texted my wife and it says, I don't know what God is doing, but let me tell you about what God has just done in me. And all I know is this, what God is doing in you and what God is doing in me, my desire is that we both can't believe that we get to be a part of what God is doing. Because that's what God just told me, is that Chuck, you need to be ready when I'm ready to position and place you in such a way that you look around and go, I can't believe that you get to be a part of that. My wife comes back, and she does come back crazy. She starts talking about God in new ways, and Jesus in new ways It's like, baby, can you go back to Africa and let's get this fixed? Like, I need you to come back with a safer Jesus, okay? I need you to come back with uh, more of a, a, of a Chuck Butler version of who Jesus is, that's what I need, please. Now I was working at a church, I'm always the one that's like, listen, go, you know, here am I, send me. But the truth is, often that's a lie that I tell people because I'm supposed to, not something I'm willing to step out and do. It's just an easy little point to tweet and go, here am I, send me. When most of the time I want to go, I'm good where I'm at, send somebody else. And When my wife comes back crazy, I began to kind of mock it for a while. Amy, God is not calling us to do that. Yeah, Amy, God, Amy, listen, for real, there's no way that God is, is asking us to look at connecting to him in some of these new ways. I was like, we're fine. And over the next couple of years, what God began to do is to show me that I, that I was connecting to him out of performance. Just, Chuck, do the right things, which is fine. But that's where my connection stopped. Chuck, just go to church. Just, Chuck, spend time with God. Chuck, read your Bible. And what I was beginning to see and beginning to learn and what Amy had been shown in Africa is that when we draw near to God, like James 4:8 says, there's an invitation there, draw near to me. And then the promise is the next part when God says, and I will draw close to you. So what I began to learn is that my connection cannot be based out of just performing for Jesus and doing all these things. That as I connect intimately with Him, He will align my life with all these things that He wants me to be a part of. And as I draw and connect to Him in an intimate way, it leads me to want to read Scripture in a personal and engaging way. It leads me to want to tell people about how He's changed my life. It leads me to want to pray and to spend my life with Him through prayer. So as God is doing this, we begin changing. We began leading our children different. I began praying different. I began praying in a way that quite honestly it kind of scared me sometimes because I was like, Chuck you were just really honest with God and uh, I'm not really sure and I'm like, well of course he already knows this but I was like, I started getting like messy honest with God. Like all the stuff that you don't want anybody to know, that's the stuff I started taking to Jesus. And God began to heal all this stuff in me and heal all this stuff in my wife and then heal us as a couple, heal us as a family. And as we fast forward over the next three years, what God had begun in us about what it looks like to truly lead people to connect to God and then to connect with him ourselves, it began to align with this church called the bridge. We're getting calls from the bridge being like, hey, would you be interested in coming? I was like, no, no, I'm not. It might as well be Africa. There's no way. They called more than once. And I was like, nope, nope. Thank you, but nope, and nope. To the point that I was like, I'm pretty sure I have just offended everybody within the Sugarland area. They call again, and I knew God was stirring something up, and there was tension there. What God began to show us is that He had been aligning us from October, that night in October from 2016. He was aligning us up until the time that I stand in front of you today. He's been aligning the story of the bridge and the Butler family. With not only today, but moving forward into the future as we go to Fulcher. But the truth is, this entire time, I just wasn't sure what it all meant. Like, God, like really, why am I, my, my kids are literally having the best year of their life. My wife is, a, is a, a, a licensed counselor. She's a therapist. And I'm like, we have never had the kind of favor we've had with, with what she does. She's got a nonprofit that out of that trip to, uh, to Africa that started that brings healing to missionaries on and off the field that's just, just gone crazy and doing amazing. It's like, God, why would you do this now? And God, why would you take me and why would you allow me to be a part of that? And as I begin to kind of look through that, I begin to kind of um, get really fascinated with Moses. Now, I know there's like the vacation Bible school Moses, and there's like the, oh, we know we know Moses. But the truth is, I really don't know that I knew as much about Moses as I probably should. And Moses is really a story about how there was just this, this leader of Egypt, this pharaoh. He was getting really hacked off that the people of God had become so numerous. I mean, he was livid. They had gotten so numerous, and they had grown, their, their population had grown so much that he was falling to the fact that, man, I don't like this. This is intimidating to me. And basically, he's like, I'm going to kill all these male children. I'm going I'm to kill them. Well, you got to imagine, what does that do to a mother when you hear that your son is in danger? Moses' mom gets really creative. He's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to save my baby. I, I tried to, to hide him for as long. It's no longer possible to hide him. So what does she do? She makes this little boat, basically, like a tiny, tiny little ark and puts him in the water. Moses. His sister's just kind of chilling from the shore, watching and looking. And what happens is that little boat, that little ark runs into um, Pharaoh's daughter. She's like, who, you know, what, what, I mean, can you even imagine all of a sudden there's a baby? She begins to talk and, and, and the Moses's sister kind of chimes up and goes, Hey, I know someone that can take care of this baby. So God creatively allows for Moses to basically be raised by his mom as she just kind of posed as this, like, this caretaker of Moses. When Moses grows up, he begins to have tons of favor with Pharaoh, tons of favor in the kingdom, uh, tons of favor in Egypt, even though he was adopted. He begins to become aware of kind of all the craziness that's, that's going on with his people, because remember, he lived in Egypt, he's got some of the favor of Egypt, but he's really from a completely different race of people. He begins to see this, well, to the point that he sees someone that's his, um, his kind of homeland people get attacked, and he kills the person that was attacking him, kills him, gets scared and runs away. Everyone kind of begins to know about it. He kind of runs off into the wilderness and begins, kind of meets a wife and begins like living a different life. This is the same Moses that went to Pharaoh in the future, you know, just kind of fast forward in the story a little bit, goes and he's the one that God uses to be like, listen, those, these plagues are coming. Let my people go. We need to get them out of Egypt. We need to get them to, to the new promised land. And Moses is used to that, to do that. Well, if you go back to the part of the story where Moses ran away, Moses is kind of living his life, you know, tending to animals and hanging out with his family and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, God creatively gets in front of Moses through a burning bush, like literally talks about this bush, this plant that does not burn up, And a voice begins to speak through it. The voice of God begins to speak through it. And I don't know what you would be like at that, but at this point, I'm literally thinking this is a horror movie and I'm out. Like, is this like insidious? Is this like the new grudge? Like what is happening? I need to get out. If a clown that looks like it gets in here, I'm out. But this bush begins to talk and God begins to let Moses know, guess what? I'm going to use you to bring your people out of bondage. Now, you know, if you know the story, and if you don't know the story, if you look into the future, what happens is God does use Moses to deliver his people. It was messy. It was hard. It wasn't pretty, but God does use him. So in this moment, Moses is getting this assignment of where he is going to be positioned and placed, and this is what it says in Exodus 3. God's given this, vo- this, this word to him, and this is what Moses says, But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Basically, who am I to do what you're telling me to do, God? Verse 12, God says, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God gives Moses an assignment. Here's what Moses says. "Um, God, I have a question. Who am I to do this? Basically like this. I really don't want to do it. I'm out. The very first thing that God says after that, Moses is like, who am I to do this thing that you've called me to do? The very first thing that God says is this, but I will be with you. I want you to think about that truth for a second. How many times have we gone to God with, I don't want to do that. No, I will not do that. I'm going to be honest with you. There have been times I just didn't say, God, I I don't want to do that. There have been times I've looked at God straight up and said, I will not do that, God. I will not, and like stomp my feet like a child and say, I'm out. And I've worked at a church since I was 18, and I've told God no more times than I can remember saying yes to him. And the reason I said no is disobedience. But let me tell you, it's more than that. It's because I didn't believe the truth that God gives Moses, but I will go with you. It goes on to basically say where God talks about, and here's how you're going to know that this is me. He says this. Here's how you know the sign that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. What does that translate to? Here's how you're going to know this is for me. You're about to see people move from slavery to freedom and from bondage to rescue. You're about to see people moved out of being like identified by this one thing and moved to freedom through God. And then it says, and then you're going to worship. Well, as I'm hearing this story and then knowing that Moses goes on to do messy work, hard work, it wasn't always easy. Moses didn't always get it right. But what Moses did in this moment is he looked at God giving him an assignment, asked a really curious question, listen to God say this, but I'm going to go with you. I feel like that's been my story so much in my life. Who am I, God, to do this? Who am I, God, to father this family? Who am I, God, to be a husband to this wife? Who am I, God, to literally tell people that they need Jesus when sometimes I don't even follow my own direction? Who am I to tell people that your life can be changed where sometimes I don't even believe it? Who am I, God, to live a life where I know that my, my identity sometimes is based more in the shame and guilt of my past than it is in what you've done in my life and how you've forgiven me and rescued me? Who am I? I think there are people in Fulshire, Texas, and in the Fulshire area that have that same story. God, who am I that you would love me? God, who am I that you would rescue me? God, who am I? God, if you knew everything in my life, and if you knew what I would not want anyone to ever know, would you still love me? I think there are stories in the Fulshire, Katie, in that area over there of people that don't know the real Jesus. They know a storybook Jesus. They know the Jesus of someone that may have burned them before instead of the real Jesus that says this, but I will go with you. That's what God's been doing in my life. Who am I to go and to do this incredible work to build on the legacy of what the bridge has been doing in Richmond at Regal and to build on the legacy of what God has been doing here in Sugarland? Who am I to do this? It freaks me out sometimes. What I'm trying to do is draw close to God so he will draw near to me. I'm trying to love my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and body, which I'm not good at sometimes. I mean, I'm just horrible at it sometimes. But I'm on a journey of trying to do that and to line my life up with that. And as I ask the questions, who am I? Here's what I know that God is saying, but I will be with you, and guess what, Chuck? Here's what we're gonna realize. As the bridge, we're gonna begin to see people moving from slavery to freedom, bondage to rescue. And then we're going to get the opportunity to worship. My wife says this because I asked her to just, Amy, text me something you're excited about. And this is what she said. I am so expectant and moving to Fulcher. Jesus is moving in so many ways. There's so many things that Chuck and I have walked over the past three years that I believe Jesus has been preparing us for such a time as this. We have been walking our own healing journeys where we have chosen to lean into our pain both individually and as a couple. We have been learning how to confess where we are at to Jesus and experience him and who he says he is in the Bible. What my wife is saying this. You wanna ask me and Amy what we're excited about? People knowing the real Jesus. The Jesus that has invaded some of your stories in this room. The Jesus that has radically changed some of you in this room the Jesus that is taking words like shame and guilt that I've written over my heart for so much of my life, and he said, that is no longer your identity, but your identity is forgiven. Your identity is rescued. Your identity is free. As Fulcher grows, let me tell you what, I'm getting pumped up. is not staying where it is right now, like 18,000 people or something like that. It's just gonna keep growing. Drive out there anytime, and the roads are getting just messed up, and things are getting built up, and homes are going over everywhere. Guess what? Fulcher is getting prepared for God to position and place people that want to see freedom and rescue come. The bridge has already seen that happen in Sugarland. The bridge has already seen that happening in Regal. And I believe in faith and with excitement that God is wanting to do that out in Fulsher. I believe that there are stories that God wants to invade. And as I have kind of worked toward getting here and actually being here, which is just super surreal, by the way, I mean, just super surreal that I'm actually here. It's not only scriptures like James 4, 8, and Exodus 3, and Mark 12 have been kind of inundating my life, but there's a worship song, and these are the words to the worship song. It's song the song is called Written, and it says this, By the power of your blood, you have won my innocence. Now, on my heart, this word is written, Forgiven. No guilt or shame can hold me. I'm covered by your mercy, and on my heart this word is written, forgiven. By the scars on your feet and hands, every trace of guilt is gone. In your freedom, here I stand. You've renamed me child of God. It keeps going and says, yes, in your freedom, here I stand. You've renamed me child of God. And on my heart, this word is written, forgiven, and it cannot be erased, and it cannot be undone. This is your final word to me, and I believe it. I know for so long in my life, my life was characterized and identified and defined by words I put on my life and heart. But I know that Jesus has written over those words of shame and guilt, and he has written the word forgiven. And he has written the word rescued. And I know that his handwriting is bigger and stronger and more powerful and more bold than anything I can write on myself. And even though sometimes if you write over a word, you still see that old word. Let me just, that old word, let me just tell you this. That when God writes over your heart the name forgiven, it is bigger and more powerful and stronger than any word that we try to identify ourselves with in any word that anyone else has tried to put on us. Any word in our life that brings pain and shame and guilt I just want to let you know that God wants to write something new over your heart. And I believe that there are people right now sitting in homes in Fulshire that have no connection to Jesus, may have never heard his name, may have been burned by the church or burned by Christians. And I believe this, that God wants to use the bridge Fulshire to be a bridge of hope, to see people's lives changed, to see communities' lives changed, to see families' lives changed, and to see our life as the bridge change as we just sweep into a new area, asking and begging God to do something new, saying this. I'm gonna go with you. I just learned how to spell for sure. I didn't even know I had an A. I misspelled it so much that searing now spells it wrong. I didn't know it was after a, new, uh, a real dude. I didn't know his name was Churchill. I sure didn't know that he was some old dude from like the 1800s. Uh, like, I thought that he was like just a redneck from the 70s. I had no clue. But as I have learned about Fulcher and learned about what God is going to do, I want you to know this that my desire is to rally around the vision and legacy of what the bridge has been doing here in Sugarland in your lives and in your hearts, at Regal, in their lives and their hearts. And my goal is that we not only see added to that, but we see multiplication happen as we as a church move to Fulcher and start asking Jesus to do things like in October of 2016, 2016, where I told my wife she was crazy. I need Jesus to start doing more things like that. I need Jesus to start Doing things in my life that make me a little bit nervous, like he's doing, like moving my entire family to Sugarland and Regal and our uh, Richmond and Fulshire, Texas. I know that we're here for a reason. I know that our church is here for a reason. And I want you to know this. Regardless of what your level of commitment is, regardless of if you're part of the vision team for Fulshire, or if you're like, I'm Sugarland for life, I'm Regal for Life, whatever it is, we are all a part of what God is doing. And when you look in the bulletin and you see that commitment card, I want you to know that I believe that the commitment is something we all get a chance to pray through. Hey, are we going to go and be a part of this vision team? Hey, are we going to be able to to look at this and be able to to help out in any way to make it happen? That that same thing is online, and I would really encourage you, look online at that commitment card. Look at what is in the bulletin, and if that's something that you would today say, I'm going to commit in this way, you can put them in the red box, you can fill it out online, whatever you want to do. But I want you to know this, that as we have made a decision to come here, we didn't take it lightly. And I, kind of, I tried to say no a bunch of times. Ten years ago, the bridge called me to come do something else. I was like, oh, no, man. Ten years ago, a decade, I've been stalked by the bridge. <laughs> and for a decade, God was not lining this up. But I do believe this. I believe that God is ready to do something, not because of me. I don't don't think that there's anything special about me. Here's what I believe, is that I believe I am, in my story, in my wife's story, we are seeing our stories align with what God has been doing at the bridge. And I believe that we see it aligning with the growth that is starting to happen at Fulcher. And I believe it's beginning to align with the fact that I no longer want to perform for Jesus. I want to connect to him in such a personal and engaging way that I forever am changed and can't imagine going to life before. That's my vision for Fulcher, is to see families changed for Jesus, individuals changed for Jesus, students, preschoolers, childrens, senior adults, single people, married people. I want to see messed up people come to know Jesus, and here's why I can say messed up people, because I'm one of them. My life is messy. My journey has been messy, but I know this. There really are no messed up people. They're just stories that are real, and God is literally waiting to interact with those stories. So as we as a church draw close to him, can we all just say this? We're going to follow God wherever he goes. We're going to do what he has called us to do. From one messed up person to whatever you define yourself as, I want you to know this, that I'm excited that I stand before a God that says this, I'm going with you and I can't wait to step into that journey and I can't wait to follow God in that journey and I know that whatever, no matter what it looks like for you, we are all a part of that journey. So as I pray, I just wanna ask you to do this. What is Jesus asking you to step out to do? What vision has God put in you that you've always been nervous about doing? Listen, talking to someone that said no to God for so long, it feels good to be stepping out in this. It's scary sometimes, it's nerve-wracking sometimes, but I know this, I think I'm messed up. I look at myself as shame and as guilt and all the kind of words I put on it, but I know that God has put rescued over my life. And God has put forgiven on my life. And it cannot be undone and it cannot be erased. And that's the truth I stand on. That same truth is something that you can stand on too. So as we worship, I want to ask you to do this for me. Would you worship in response to what Jesus has been doing in your life? Would you worship in response to what you know Jesus is doing and that you've always been nervous about stepping out and being a part of? Would you just evaluate what has been going on in your life and will you just cry out to Jesus and confess to him whatever is in your heart and let this song be something that just resonates to Jesus. This has been written over my heart and God, I want to do whatever you've called me to do. So Jesus, here's my prayer for this morning. That God, you will use all of us in this room to do what you've called us to do. That God, we will all step out and be obedient. God, I pray I never go back to what it was like in my life before October 2016. God, will you continue to give me moments where I get to hear you say, but I will go with you. God, I pray for that for Fulcher. I pray for that for Sugarland. I pray for that for Regal. And pray that, God, you will continue just to do this as we bring hope and as we see people connected to you like never before. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.